You can draw from that what you want. You can say, gee, I think I'll take the conservative approach and make a little less money, maybe if everything goes great, but I'll cover my bets. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success real estate and follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Followup Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, John McNellis. John is joining us from Palo Alto, California. He was a previous guest on a number of episodes. So if you Google Joe Fairless and John McNellis, those episodes will pop up. John, we're glad to have you back. Thanks for joining us. And how are you today? Uh, so I'm great. I'm absolutely great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, Omicron here in Palo Alto seems finally to be going away. So it turns out it didn't seem like it was that big a deal. Life seems to be returning to normal. Anyway. Glad to hear that. Today is Saturday, so best ever listeners, I hope you're having a great weekend so far. Because it is Saturday, we are going to do a Situation Saturday show where we discuss a specific situation our guest has encountered. The goal is to give you the knowledge should you encounter a similar situation. John is principal at McNellis Partners and has been involved in over 80 development projects. John, before we get into your particular skill set, can you give us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? 
Sure. I went to school here in the Bay Area, went to Berkeley, went to a fancy law firm in San Francisco in the mid-70s, quickly decided that I hated to practice the law. I was in a real estate commercial practice. I managed with, <laughs> let's say, a lot of effort to gradually shift out of law into business, teamed up with an older partner who was a shopping center developer. And so for the last 40 years, we have been primarily shopping center developers. Our focus has been in Northern California, basically, say, a two-hour drive from San Francisco in all directions, except maybe west. <laughs> the centers tend to be, give or take, 100,000 feet, give or take 10 acres, supermarket-anchored, Walmart-anchored, all single-story, surface-parked. And I didn't realize how brilliant that was, and it certainly wasn't a strategy until two years ago when COVID hit. And then I learned somehow that we were a central retail. So our portfolio, unlike the big boxes that you see and the enclosed malls, our portfolio and that of all of my competitors in the same niche, that is supermarket anchored neighborhood centers, came out essentially unscathed. We had to give up rent for our small tenants in 2020 and continuing into 2021 and even still today a little bit. But the vast bulk of our tenants, 75, 80% of the supermarkets, drive throughs in particular, did fine. And we also, just to round it out, we also do a little bit of uh, investing in Silicon Valley in office buildings and sort of high-end small residential projects. What do you want to talk about today, John? We've covered so much in our past conversations. What would give our audience some value today? Okay, so I'm assuming, Ash, that our audience are, are young guys like you that want to get into the development business. So what I want to talk about is that first deal, for the first couple of deals where, let's say you're a broker, let's say you're an attorney, a banker, whatever it is, but you, you hanker to become a developer. You find a deal and, oh my God, it is so good. And I'm going to give you a slightly disguised, a specific deal that good friends were involved in. So this is a real thing. You find a deal, let's say it's $15 million. It was. And let's just say you're absolutely certain, Ash, that in a year you can make it worth 20. It's an existing project. doesn't matter whether it's an office building or a shopping center, but single tenant, the lease is coming up. The sellers are old. They're nervous. They decide to, to sell it at a discount. You know that if you can extend that lease for 10 years, you can turn around and have a value of $20 million. So you want to keep as much of that as possible. Then just this background, and uh, it's in my book, but typically this is what I call a paint and petunias deal where the project is leased or unleased, but there's no construction risk. There's no entitlement risk. Essentially, there's a leasing risk. So on a deal like that, in my experience, the best you could hope for as the equity partner or the young developer is maybe an 80-20 split, sometimes even 90-10. And sometimes if you don't have enough control, the financial partner kind of muscles you aside and says, okay, kid, we'll give you an extra point or two on the commission, but you're out of the deal. But let's say 80-20. But you think this is such a great deal that you want to get a better deal than that. You want to get 60-40. And it's a good enough deal. So you, you go to your financial partner and you say, this is a killer deal. There's $5 million on the table. All we have to do is buy it, lease it, sell it, or refinance it. Financial partner agrees. He says, whoa, you're right. This is a good deal. And the chance of getting this thing leased, 100%. So he says, here's the deal, kid. 
80-20, preferred return on the money. So you guys all know how this works. First, there's the 8%, then there's the repayment of the capital, and then it's the 80-20 split. You counter and say, no, this is such a good deal. I want 60-40. The money guy says 60-40, you're really pushing it. But tell you what, if you're that convinced that you can get in and out in a year, I'll do it. But I want a preferred return. The high end of the financial partner preferred returns, I want an 18% preferred return. So that's your dilemma as the young developer. Do you take 60-40 after an 18% return or 80-20 after an 8% return? With me so far? I am. Okay. Any questions so far? No, I have a deal that's very similar to this. We're doing an 18% preferred return and a 70-30 split. So I'm really intrigued to learn more. Oh, so you should have watched this episode <laughs> before, before I did the deal. deal. <laughs> yes. Oops. That's one of my favorite lines. Experience is something you acquire just after you need it. <laughs> anyway, so 80-20, 8%, 60-40, 18%. So let's just walk through the numbers. And I think I can do this in my head. Let's first do it. And then you tentatively say to the, the guy, I think I want to go the 60-40 route. And he says, well, work through the math. So at a year out, 18% on 15 million. And let's assume this is a last minute deal and you're going to sell it or refinance it. So there's no debt. It's just all equity. So 18% on 15 million is 2.7 million. So a year out, 2.7 million, that leaves 2.3 million in profit. What's 40% of 2.3 million? Ash, tell me that. Roughly a million. I actually wrote it down. It's more roughly 920,000 on your deal if you hit your marks. Let's go the other route. And the 80-20 deal with the 8% return, that is 8% on 15 million is 1.2 million, which leaves a $3.8 million profit. 20% of that is how much? 760,000. So if you can get in and get out on that one year, you're 160,000 to the good on the aggressive 60-40 after 18% deal. You're 100% to the good. I was actually thinking about this. I know you're well-versed in the IRRs or internal rate of return. And I'm guessing most of your audiences as well, if they're going to listen to this technical real estate stuff. And as I was thinking about our talk, I think you know already, we have zero faith in the IRR. It's a silly metric, but it's one that all the financial guys use. And so they say, you know, we want an 18% IRR and then you get your money. But it occurred to me that IRR could stand for I ruin rookies. Because <laughs> Keep that in mind. In fact, I, I think I'll put that in a newsletter. It's a t-shirt. It's a t-shirt. I ruin rookies. All right. So... We just walked through the math. At one year, the aggressive approach works great. But let's just say, <laughs> this is real estate, folks. Let's just say there's a delay. What happens on that same deal at 18 months? So let's say there's a six-month delay. You can work through the math, but at another six months at 18%, and suddenly you're at 4050000 of preferred return, there's only 950000 left to split. 40% of that is 380000 If you'd gone the other way, if you'd taken the 80-20 deal, 
Well, the 8% is, again, at 18 months, that's up to a million eight. There's three million two left to split. So suddenly you're at 600,000. So that's the point. Let me underscore that, folks. If you hit your marks exactly and you're in and out in one year, you're way ahead. If you only have a six-month delay, you're behind. You'd net 600,000 on the more conservative way, 380 on the 60-40 way. So you're up 220,000. And then if you carry this out, the next level, a one-year delay. A one-year delay, the developer's out of the money. <laughs> two million seven times two is five million four. That's all the profit in the deal goes to the financial partner. So, Ash, you may say, well, John, has that ever happened to you? And I'd say, yes, it has. Not quite so dramatically and not where I had a choice, but simply where in the early days, we would do a deal at a 10% preferred return, a development deal, and it would turn out well, but not perfect. And we'd be producing a 9% return on the investment. The promote was, or rather the preferred return was 10%. So each year we'd fall behind 1%. And then next year, 1.2% and so on. So absolutely, have we done deals that only benefited the financial partner? Yes, three or four. I think we've talked about this before, and it's kind of off the topic, but that's one of the reasons we decided, once we were able to, to no longer have financial partners, to just do small deals on our own and not get ourselves behind this snowball. Now, the situation that I'm personally aware of, the young developers chose the 60, 40, 18%. And here's what happens. They were really smart guys, really competent. Everything that they had said that was going to happen actually did happen, but delays occurred in getting the lease extended and then COVID occurred. And suddenly things were jammed and sure enough, they ended up out of the money entirely. And had they gone with the more conservative approach, they would have made at least a couple hundred thousand dollars. So, you can draw from that what you want. You can say, gee, I think I'll take the conservative approach and make a little less money, maybe if everything goes great, but I'll cover my bets. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business or maybe you've tried, but you've been unable to get your first apartment deal? Well, it's hard. I know firsthand getting started in syndication is not easy. So have you considered working with a mentor? Imagine working one-on-one -on -one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid big mistakes, and scale your portfolio. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out the mentoring program from my friend, Michael Blanc, who specializes in helping people get started with apartment buildings. I've known Michael for many years now, and he genuinely wants to help people become financially free. He developed a proven system and has helped hundreds of people do their first apartment building deal. I know he can help you as well. To find out more, text the word Joe. J-O-E, to 66866. I know Michael's going to take care of you. Go ahead and text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own apartment syndication business. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. 
They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investor Guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. That makes a lot of sense. And we're doing the exact same thing. You don't know this, but our story is exactly what you said. It's 18% preferred return to our investors. And it's a 70-30 split. 30% goes to the LPs, 70 to the GPs. And it's the same thing. It's a $5 million strip center that we have two LOIs on leases to lease up the remaining vacancy. And if all goes well, it should be a huge win. I hope it will. If all goes well. (laughs) If all goes well. Yeah. California is the home of delays. Is that in Ohio? It's in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. One of the delays is one of the tenants coming in is Ace Hardware and they have a six month delay on getting shelving for new stores. Right. We knew that going in. The other reason we're confident about this deal is the operating capital is enough to pay the investor's preferred return. Oh, so you're Sorry, the, always... the operating income and the, the profit. You bought it at a current 18% return? Correct. Okay. You're not going to suffer that the same way. Just as long as you can keep it current, that's great. In this case, the one that I mentioned, that wasn't the case. Okay. This is pretty conservatively underwritten. We won't make any money if we just maintain the center as it is, but the upside will add a tremendous amount of value. Well, that's great. And this as a bigger picture, as a young guy starting out, even if you don't make money, if the financial partner does and the financial partner likes you, it's on your portfolio. It's another stripe or another battle ribbon that for your next deal, you can say, yeah, we did this shopping center and it turned out we bought it for four, sold it for five. It adds to your credibility. And of course, it adds to your experience. So I guarantee you're not going to make money, listeners out there, on every single deal. Uh, we have certainly lost money more than once. But even on the losers, you gain something. You gain a lot of it, valuable experience. And again, what I used to call kiss sisters, but <laughs> no longer a, a happy term, I guess, <laughs> where you absolutely break even. Again, that works out okay in the long run. I agree. Yeah. If the investors make a killing on this, awesome. Yeah. So have you ever done deals where it's a combination of development and buying existing standing structures? So expanding a shopping center? Oh, sure. And then the underwriting for that, how is that? And how do you underwrite that for investors? Well, okay. Again, we don't use investors anymore, but we underwrite it for ourselves. I'll give you an example. Two recessions ago, if we say that COVID caused a small one, so in 2010, we bought a little shopping center, 50,000 foot center in Modesto, California, out of foreclosure. Let me think about this. It was 70% vacant and 30% leased. What was vacant was the anchor, the 30,000 foot anchor, just to simplify things. And there were 20,000 feet of shops. 
So Ash, what we liked about it, we saw it was the shops have been there forever and they were paying for Modesto very low rent. And we bought it on a 5% immediate cash on cash return. So I said, kind of like what you just described, I said to myself, and remember banks then were just like banks today. They were paying thumb and forefinger interest. And it wasn't that much. It was a couple million dollars. So I said, guys, we can buy this. We have an immediate 5% return, which is okay. Cap rates weren't that far. They were maybe six or seven then. And we have 70% of vacant spaces upside. So if you go in where you're at a break even and there's a big upside, I love doing deals like that. So those scare me because if I see a vacant anchor, my assumption is one by one, the rest of the tenants are going to leave when their leases are up. Is that not the case? Good point. As a general rule, yes. But what intrigued us about this site was that the little tenants, the, you know, the coffee shop, the, the insurance, the pizza place, the and nail salon and so on, they had been there for years and years and the anchor had been vacant for years. So they had survived just fine without the anchor. So we were pretty sure we weren't going to lose them. Also, it was such a strong location one of my friends likes to say the two-word key to success in real estate is supply constraint. You want to be in an area where your competition can't come in and build a better mousetrap. But in this particular location, a mile in all directions was totally built out. So we knew there wasn't going to be an, another shopping center coming in. And the other thing, I don't know how many people have pools in Ohio, but pools in California are a good indicator of nice, solid income at least middle income, maybe a little better. And what indicates pools in a neighborhood? Leslie Pools, or one of the pool supply companies. So when we were buying the center, and we had Leslie's in some of our other centers, so I called them and I said, how are you doing here? They said, we, we do just fine. So I liked that as kind of a bellwether or a canary in the coal mine telling us, yeah, this is a good location. Can I pick your brain on a couple of deals that I'm working on? Sure. And to go back to that one example, would you subdivide that giant vacant space from the previous anchor? Or would you just try to find another big box anchor? Yeah, actually, I simplified it a little bit. I went the other way. I had 25,000 feet vacant. And as it turned out, there was 25,000 feet in one space that was vacant. And there was another 5,000 feet in line that was vacant. So Walmart came along and we have worked a lot with Walmart in the last 30 years. And Walmart's been great, by the way. They're a great business partner. They came along and said, we need 30,000 feet. So it was complicated. I had to move one tenant, build him a new space. And then when he moved, then move another tenant into that space. And then when that tenant moved out, then we could build out the 30,000 feet for Walmart. And that's a huge win. Yeah, it turned out, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah but we still own it 10 years later, and it's a good property for us. So best ever listeners, forgive me for asking this question. It's on a property that I own, but hopefully you get some value out of this as well. So John, that $5 million strip center, 100,000 square feet, it has a giant parking lot that we don't need all of. Building an out lot in a conversation with a broker right now, he's convincing me to just sell the out lot versus trying to build something and collect rent on it. What are your thoughts on that? And across the street, there's McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell. Everyone's there. You paid $5 million all cash? No, a million cash. It was 20% down. 
20% down. So it's just a million that's getting the 18% return, correct? That's correct. And then you've got a $4 million loan at 3 or 4 or 5%? Give four and a quarter, yep. Four and a quarter, okay. We do that a lot, actually. We'll buy a shopping center because, again, that's our primary business. And we will sell off or a piece of land and we'll subdivide it. And then we'll sell off almost immediately one or two parcels in order to bring our um, basis down on the balance. And then we'll keep that. We like having very little debt. So what that would enable you to do, a pad here in California, like that you're talking about, would probably sell for close to a million dollars. So let's just say you could sell for a million dollars. You can, in all good conscience and honesty, you can allocate because you just bought the center for five, right? This year, last 12 months, you can immediately turn around and sell that one pad for a million and you can allocate a million dollars of basis to that because you can say to the IRS, look guys, we didn't do anything. We just bought this and we sold this for a million. So clearly that part was worth a million. So then you allocate that. So you can pull that million out essentially without a tax. You hand the million to your financial partner no more 18% return and you're in for 70, 30 on all the cash flow. I love that idea. Okay. So sell it versus trying to become a developer and build on it. You can go either way. Uh, <laughs> they're a little tricky. So we did a super Walmart in another town and we ended up with four pads after we did the 18 acre uh, super Walmart. We developed one for 7-Eleven. We're selling another to a Starbucks developer, and we're ground leasing a third to an oil changer. So basically all three options, build a suit, ground lease, sale. Usually you don't have the luxury of choices. <laughs> Usually the life, I don't think they'll say, look, dude, it worked, uh, let's say you guys have In-N-Out burgers? In, in, no, in- unfortunately. Uh, yeah, okay. So In-N-Out always says, we're buying... Otherwise, we're out. And they're the flavor of the month. Everybody loves In-N-Out. So In-N-Out always insists on buying. Chick-fil-A, another darling in fast food, is happy to ground lease. So it all depends. Chances are that the tenants will dictate. But all three options work fine. Okay. That helps a lot. Awesome. John, thank you so much for being on our podcast again. It's been a pleasure. Learn a lot every time we have you on there. How can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Probably the easiest way is on LinkedIn. I'm there, John McNally. See if you'll find me there. And you're not going to plug your book, but I am. This is, the <laughs> most, this is the most gifted product I've ever purchased. I've bought dozens of these. It's called Making It in Real Estate, Starting Out as a Developer by John McNellis. A phenomenal book. In my opinion, one of the few incredible commercial real estate books. So thank you for that. It's been a great resource. Thank you. Delighted you like it. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share the podcast with someone who you think will benefit from it. Follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.